Welcome to be with us this morning as we remember the birth of Jesus uh, on this, the first of our four Advent Sundays. And we think about the profound significance of that birth as uh, his disciples will come later in the service to remember the meaning and the significance of that birth in sharing bread and wine together. I think it's really important for us to reflect on the hard truths uh, that lie at the centre of the Christmas story. And we'll listen to some words together now, uh, perhaps as our opening prayer or our offering. Christmas is waiting. Christmas is waiting to happen. Outside, a vacant hillside lies silent, strangely empty of any angel's choir. A stable waits for bookings at the inn to multiply. Distant kings study charts and keep gifts in cold storage. While shepherds plan their memoirs in expectancy of unexpected fame and keep a chapter free for miracles. A small velvet patch in the black night sky stands ready to hold a newborn star and oppressed peoples everywhere cling wildly to prophecy and song and whisper the word Messiah. They've switched on the lights in Oxford Street counting off the buying days like guardsmen on parade. Shops are stocked and standing by revving up the engines of their debt-powered swiping machines and history watchers mark another year in the slow count to 3,000. But here an old man lies in the stairwell where he fell three days ago and no one knows. Here a young girl loiters in a streetlight's unholy halo to sell the only thing she owns that men will pay for. And here an infant sleeps on a sack on the hard earth floor where even a mother's hand is empty. And there are places where Christmas is still waiting to happen. Taking Jesus seriously and being changed. We're going to think about that core message through the experiences of the shepherds, the Magi, Joseph and Anna and Simeon. And you'll hear from me, from Malcolm, from Martin and from Charles um, and all our helpers um, in those sessions of worship. We hope that you'll be able to make as many of those four services as you can, that you'll find that focus and that developing theme helpful. So we need to listen to the story of the shepherds and Jess is going to come and read to us from Luke chapter 2, the first 20 verses. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of of David, our Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them what had been what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We're going to spend some time this morning imagining our way into that story. Um, the capacity to imagine and bring those stories to life is a really important way of understanding the deep truths that scripture has to teach us. So I was preparing the service and I was reading those verses about the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And when I read those verses, it sounds something like this. which is very heavenly and there are lots of hymns that you know create this serene peaceful scene um, a few stars twinkling in the blue sky um, above Beth- Bethlehem the shepherds in quiet reflection perhaps having a few devout words around the fireside and, and praying together the problem is and I have limited experience of this but when you get a group of men together the atmosphere tends to be a bit more like this. And I'll now allow our shepherds to shepherd youth church out to their classes. Thank you, shepherds. Peaceful serenity, a group of lads exchanging banter around the campfire and singing songs. 
there was a moment when heaven broke into our world and those shepherds had a heavenly encounter and chose to respond together. Christmas is waiting to happen. Christmas is waiting for us as we progress through Advent. Christmas was waiting for the shepherds. We'll think about their hard circumstances a little bit later on this morning. And Christmas is waiting for happen to happen for those in suffering and need. If you've got a Bible, you might like to have Luke chapter 2 open in front of you. Um, so what does this story, this story of the shepherds in peaceful serenity, loud banter, what does that teach us about the need to take Jesus seriously and the ways in which they were changed? However you do it, however you imagine it, here's how I would take you into this story. So we have in verse 8, shepherds out in the fields keeping watch through the night over their flock. I don't have the life experiences to imagine what that was like. I am at least four generations, maybe five, away from a life on the land of agricultural labour. I have no idea. I have nothing in my life experience or the memories of my family to equip me um, to imagine that. But what I found out and what I know is, and perhaps as we can imagine, as we can start to intuit a hard life, people taking flocks of sheep out to find pasture and moving from pasture to pasture and water source to water source for days, weeks, maybe even months at a time, spending long periods of time away from their families, away from their community, away from variety or interest and, you know, the hard, unrelenting work of keeping those valuable assets of food and warm clothing and perhaps even milk safe and protected we get little clues, don't we, from the Old Testament about the kind of life that David led as a shepherd, constantly in danger from not just the environment, um, but also the wild animals around him. And maybe it was like that for them too. They were probably nomadic. Shepherds often will have temporary huts or dwellings that they'll occupy um, during the pasture season. Maybe um, they slept rough um, or built temporary shelters. Bored in hardship, in isolation. There's some lines from one of our other hymns, despised and worthless shepherds. There's a sense, some knowledge that that job was one of those you know, difficult, hard jobs that nobody wanted to do. And if you wanted a figure of speech for somebody that society looked down um, onto in first century Palestine, it was a shepherd, the lowest of the low. And then suddenly, the angel appears. They experience the breaking in of God's glory into their human world. They were terrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And I don't imagine that was particularly effective. Every time I've been afraid, um, somebody saying, don't worry or don't be afraid has been the least effective thing. Um, in that situation. Um, 
perhaps the message won them round. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news, news of great joy for the whole nation. Today there's been born to you in the city of David a deliverer, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And at once there was with the angel a great company of the heavenly hosts singing praise to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace in, to, whom, to, all whom in he, to all in whom he delights. There's an irony at the start of this story. From the perspective of many, particularly those in charge, the Roman Empire had been un- enjoying an unprecedented time of peace, the Pax Romana. Claudius had created a strong and stable government in the interests of um, the Roman Empire. And from one perspective, all was well. There was a consistent set of system of government, all the benefits of Roman civilization and peace across all its territories. But strong and stable government in the national interest is rarely in the interests of the poor and the despised and the worthless. And maybe it's that promise of deliverance from personal hardship, their difficult way of life, and perhaps a sense of disenfranchisement that they were living under occupation. Perhaps it was that, those two things revealed in the glory of God that galvanized the shepherds to leave. Because after the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off. I don't know if you've ever tried to introduce a change in your life, in the routines of your family, a project for your team or your colleagues at work. Some of you have done big pieces of organizational change that disrupt, you know, many tens, hundreds of people. I've done a couple of those things. I was terrified um, all the way through it. And it's really hard. And it's hard for us as a church as well when circumstances change and we need to rethink the way that we do things. But the shepherds took that message seriously. They were willing to be changed in an instant. And maybe there was some debate. Luke doesn't say we can't judge either way. It takes a lot to galvanize a group of individuals, get them to agree to something and do it together and do it quickly. I think that in itself is part of the you know, miraculous nature of this story, just as much as um, the heavenly appearances of angels and choirs in the heavens. They probably had a choice. They could have still dismissed it as a hallucination or spent hours arguing amongst themselves, delayed. We get no sense that there was disagreement in the group. They just went together and they chose to travel together to Bethlehem. Who knows what happened to the sheep? Did they take them with them? Would have made it harder. Um, I don't know. Um, That's one of those little trivialities that our minds can stick on. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw the child, they related what had been told to them. And all who heard were astonished at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered over him. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they'd heard and seen. And it had all happened as they had been told. That bare and simple narrative tells us so little. How does a 
woman who's just given birth react when lots of smelly, dirty, noisy men with or without sheep rock up, say, hi, we've had a message from heaven, everyone. But in her fragility and weakness and vulnerability and in the fragility and weakness of her family, I get the sense that Mary took all that stuff and was willing to be open and hospitable to that group of strangers. I think that's a profound and courageous thing to do. I think that's a real role model for us. There's a great great cultural history of hospitality in the Middle East, and you see it popping up time and time again through the Old Testament story, through um, Abraham entertaining strangers. Maybe she was better equipped to deal with strange guests turning up. I don't know. But she was willing to be hospitable, to listen. And in response, she was given things, a heavenly message that she was able to reflect and ponder and hold deep within her and treasure. Luke tells us at the start of his narrative that he's an evidence-based historian. He's gone out and talked to people and, you know, trying to provide this evidence-based case for um, the teaching of Jesus and his life and his miracles. And he's rubbish. You know, the gospel writers choose rubbish witnesses for everything. We've talked about how despised and worthless and inconsequential the shepherds were and the prostitutes and the other sinners, the tax collectors who gathered around Jesus, the women who were witnesses, the first witnesses to his resurrection. This is not a great case for miraculous happenings. But Luke was confident enough in the power of their stories to go and find them um, and collect them and use them as a witness. And it's important for us, I think, to be willing to listen to sometimes to the most unlikely people. Truth comes in strange packages. And that's it for the shepherds. Gone. They disappear from the story. We never hear about them again. And they vanish until... 10, 20, 30, 40 years, Luke found their story. I don't know who he found it from. Maybe he found them. Maybe he found people who knew them. Maybe the disciples had passed those stories on amongst themselves. But that testimony had persisted. That one powerful, unique experience in their lives had persisted and was treasured as Mary treasured those stories in her heart. And it comes down to us today as a gift, um, an imaginative gift about the miraculous coming at Christmas. Um, so that's us imagining our way into the story, trying to fill in the gaps in a really sparse narrative. But what's the message for us at the Bethel? What's the message for God's people, this group of group of believers gathered together around Jesus, who we remember in bread and wine this morning? You can take that in many different ways. The story allows it. Um, but as I was reading it this Christmas time, the things that struck me were these. This story, the teaching of Jesus, is shot through with unusual families and unusual gatherings and congregations of people and the fundamental need to be hospitable to the most unlikely. So I hang on to Mary's hospitality, the hospitality of Mary and Joseph, being prepared to accept this smelly group of shepherds, hear the story that they had to tell about Jesus 
and see that as being something to treasure, something to celebrate, worth remembering and thinking about and passing on and passing on and passing on. Um, some of you might remember this photo, which I used in the Draw Near to God series last Advent. Homeless Mike um, by an American photographer. And that's still the image that I have of these careworn, hard-living people um, with a strange dignity through the story of Luke. And it's seeing past the things that make us feel uncomfortable and, you know, the smells and the difficult life stories and seeing their capacity to speak to us about truth and be hospitable to them. And I said I was four generations away from, you know, a life on the land. I've got no capacity really to know truly um, what the life of a shepherd was like. How do we as a church translate the shepherds into 21st century Manchester? Are they the, the homeless people or the people begging on the streets of Manchester? Are they the gig economy of Uber drivers or the delivery cyclists who we see out in all weathers making it easy for us to order food at our convenience? Are they the order pickers in the Amazon factories um, out on the motorways around Manchester? The almost, almost homeless of safer surfers? I don't care who you need to hang on to but somewhere in your head there will be a group of people and you think there but for the grace of god go i that's the job that i would never want to have to do even in my greatest desperation and if you can find that person that's the shepherds for you and i reflect on the hospitality of that story the hospitality of those marginal people um, in that society the marginal people in our society and I think about Paul's words in Romans 12. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Or later on in Luke, whose gospel is full of, full of how Jesus is good news for the poor and the marginalised, for the many and not the few. Jesus says this over dinner to a guest. And when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. Because if they do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Practice hospitality. How do we as a church find ways to practice hospitality to those people? I think that's a great thing to reflect on this Advent. So we've imagined our way into ourselves into the story. I've captured a message for us at the church. If we're taking Jesus seriously, we need to be as hospitable to our shepherds as Mary and Joseph, as the story of Jesus is to the shepherds in that narrative. And what's the story for us? I can only imagine that that was a once-in-the-lifetime experience for the shepherds. That was it. That one profound spiritual encounter with the kingdom of God. And what if that was it? What if we've had our one big transformational experience, the one thing that perhaps convinced us um, to be disciples of Jesus, a profound encounter that we've had along the way? 
How do we use those things? Well, maybe there's something in that story too. Maybe there's something in the fact that Mary clung on to those things and treasured and pondered them in her heart. How can we use the power of our mind's eye to take us back to those experiences, to remember what those were like, to use them to sustain us? Who can we talk to to find those sustaining stories? Luke clearly, when he was doing his research, had to go out and find people who were still telling the story of the shepherds and how heaven broke through to earth and revealed the glory of God to them. Who are we going out and speaking to? Whose stories can we find? What stories are you retelling that encourage and build up yourself and the church? We read in Hebrews this. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened us through, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So right at the heart of those letters to early churches, those letters to you and to me, keep encouraging each other, keep meeting up, keep telling the stories, keep sharing those experiences, giving us and each other things to treasure in our hearts as Mary had the story of the shepherds and their message to ponder and reflect on. So where have we been this morning? Let's remember that God's word comes to the most unlikely people. In this story, it's the shepherds, the lowest of the low in the gig economy of first century Palestine. God's word comes to the most unlikely people. And when they listen to it, and when they take it seriously, it galvanizes them to act together and do so with courage and conviction and to do so instantly. At the heart of this picture, this story that we've imagined our way into, Luke's episode in the box set of the four Gospels, is this call to hospitality, the open-hearted opposite of a hostile environment. At the heart of this story, the heart of Luke's Gospel, at the heart of the four Gospels, at the heart of the New Testament, at the heart of all of God's word to us. Be hospitable. Love your neighbour as yourself. And lastly, when your instincts are otherwise, when the last thing that you want to do is keep on going, keep on believing, keeping on being a disciple, keep on participating in a church. We need to keep talking to each other, keep retelling the story, treasuring the things that we've been given in our hearts, and sharing those with other people. We sustain the story. The story sustains us. So let's have confidence to draw near to God in Jesus as the shepherds drew near to him in Bethlehem. After, lunch, after church finishes, as you talk over lunch, after our Advent service this afternoon, 
See if you can ask a question that starts a conversation that does that little work of sustaining God's story as the shepherds did, as Luke did, as Mary did. And then think, perhaps as we share bread and wine and we've got that quiet time around the remembrance of Jesus and his life of open-hearted hospitality, maybe think about one act of hospitality that you can commit to doing to one of those unlikely people. The shepherds took Jesus seriously. They acted together. They were changed by the experience and given a life-sustaining story. That's what we've been given, and it's what we remember now as we share bread and wine together.